Hey guys, welcome back to another bite of D&D. This is Micah, and across the internet for me is my co-host, Zach. How's it going, guys? And as we kind of mentioned last week, this week we are mixing things up a little bit. We are going to do our best to give you as spoiler-free as we can kind of discussion about a adventure we ran a few months ago in Zach's game. Uh, kind of the ideas that we liked out of it, the storyline behind it without any of the uh, kind of main plot threads or uh, twists or anything. And just kind of the, the ideas behind it and what we liked on that. And I think Zach wanted to maybe go over some of his changes, what he thought felt a little bit better in that setting, but we'll just dive into it here. Zach, what adventure are we talking about this week? So, yeah, the adventure that we went through is called The Library of Biblius. It's labeled as a 6-10 to hour adventure for 8th level characters, and it's written by a man named Matthew Butler. Again, it's called The Library of Biblius, and uh, you can find it on the DMs Guild. I will say that in my own home games and online games, I quite often end up diving into the DMs Guild looking for a adventure that fits my basic parameters for what I want to happen next within my campaign, and I want somebody else to do the lion's share of the skeletal framework. So this is one of, I don't know, quite a few of these these adventures that I've picked up, and I just thought this one had some interesting stuff to it and would be worth going over. I have not read through this adventure i am really here to react mainly as a player and get some of zach's insights as well but i did experience this with him and i think there are a lot of kind of fun concepts that he had within it so i'll give a couple other things just as kind of my overview of it and then if you have specific things you want to ask or direct me to that's good too my the first thing that i'll note is that it's like a 57 page adventure it has its own maps it has its own unique monsters. I think there's, if there's any, it's very few uh, monsters out of the monster manual. It's almost exclusively homemade, homebrewed stuff. It's got magic items, again, almost exclusively homebrew. It's got new spells, again, almost exclusively homebrew. And then it's got some NPCs along with that. Um and one thing I would say, I know homebrew can get a lot of flack. I know there's a lot of jokes around D&D Wiki. And to be quite honest, things that I largely agree with on there as far as how unreliable it is. But nothing that we encountered in this adventure I felt was out of place. And I didn't actually know that any of it would not have come from official sources. It felt very natural. Well, let's get into let's let let me talk. I'm, again, we're going to stay largely spoiler free here, but let's let's talk for a minute about the monsters that are built here because I think that monster creation can be one of the more difficult things that a writer does within their story, and so I kind of want to go over what sort of things you can find or my takeaways from them. The first thing that I'll note is that there is a ton. I think there's like. 10 new monsters, maybe something ridiculous like that, maybe more. There's a lot. And some of them have really good flavor. There's a few that I really liked. I would say that as a whole, there was probably as a whole a plus towards creativity. There's a lot of interesting ideas here. I think that this might be one of the harsher parts of this for me to react to. 
and that's because almost every encounter that you find in this adventure is going to be one creature fighting the party. And I don't feel like that's how we really... That's something that I... I I feel like you definitely added in some stuff, because I think one pitfall a lot of people get into is they meticulously follow the rules or their best judgment on building a certain CR, and they're like, all right, that is the appropriate CR, we're good to go. But one monster against a party is almost always a cakewalk. The action economy is just not in their favor, and it is... Yeah, so that's interesting. I, I Yeah, you definitely mix it up. I did not see a single moment where we had just one monster, and I, I think if we did, well, our party was a little bit large too, but it yeah. would have been a disaster, I think. So I think that the average CR for these monsters is nine. So think about it like that when you're looking at, you know, it's supposed to be ran for a party level of eight. So, yeah, I mean, you really can't have a whole lot more. I mean, you can have more than that but not a whole lot more, and it kind of shows with, okay, they really are intending to just fight this in this encounter. That would be my biggest frustration when I got to reading this. I'm like, oh, okay, so they're going into this room, and they're fighting one thing. Then they go into the next room, and they fight one thing, now, and I they open that door. question yeah. for you then in that instance, because did you add or remove any traps then in this instance? Because I don't feel like we ran into issues outside of... I mean, there's there's a couple of interesting traps a couple very clever traps but for the most part there didn't seem to be a ton of danger outside the monster encounters no there's not a ton of traps there's there's really not and and i think that the point of it is i mean if if you're going to try to shed a positive light on this side it it could feel like a an old school dungeon crawl and that you're just opening up a room fighting that thing moving on to the next room and that's really so when i came in and i said no these four monsters are going to go away and I'm going to add these elements to these what remains to make them more interesting. I think that that took it away from that dungeon crawl feel a little bit and I was able to add a little bit more story to it. Well, one thing I would like to throw in too, because I feel like I am being a little bit harsh on that. I think you could also view it as a very heavy RP dungeon. There's a lot of really engaging elements, I felt like, especially with the traps that there were. They felt very clever. They were very engaging with us as players and it was more than just a you hit the tripwire rocks fall everybody's head hurts yeah i think 100 percent. if if to 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 move on from monsters because i don't want to dwell there too long if we're moving into traps and other elements of the stuff there's some really good riddles and really good puzzles some really good mechanics for some of the traps i think by and large i didn't touch those and I'm not a huge trap person, but I like it when I get to have a fun trap or a fun puzzle. And I don't think I messed with them. Maybe just a tiny tweak here or there to add to the story that was, you know, uh, manifesting with my set of players. But but I think for the most part, it was just, here's this thing. There was one puzzle that, I mean, it was a riddle. I mean, when's the last time? And I felt like it was a good riddle, my, my personal thing. Um but it stumped the party for a long time, and it finally required some some good intelligence rolls on their end to get a tiny hint to to resolve it. But I'm like, wow, for a for an adventure to have a really good riddle in it is somewhat abnormal. Well, and the other thing that, and, and maybe we just got lucky with our group, but the other thing I viewed as fairly abnormal is none of us were really checked out during those riddle process. It's not like any of us were just like. Okay, this is stupid. We don't want to do this. Let's 
just move on. Um, like we wanted to figure it out and like it, it all felt very fair when it was yeah. all said and done. So, well, I don't think the exception there's any... of one, there's, there is one that, uh, is a little rough. Yeah. <laughs> it's uh, luckily it's the most minor or it could be seen as the most minor of them. And I think it's in there as a fun piece, not as a, right. Haha, gotcha. Sort of a thing. Now, before we move any further in, I, I want to say, um, because it, it slipped my mind to say at the beginning, Library of Biblius is an underground, newly discovered ancient library. It plays like a dungeon. Like, that's that's the flavor. It, it's a dungeon flavored to be an old, forgotten, relic-filled library with a mystery to solve. So to, I want to go ahead and say that for those of you who are like, well, what is a library? This is like a library buried inside the earth as part of an ancient civilization, and that's, that's important. Really is probably why it was not quite as trap heavy, maybe not quite as monster heavy. Cause it was like you mentioned, it was kind of a mystery we had to unravel and figure out. I mean, there are parts where like we were largely torn on how we wanted to uh, approach some of these things and what we were worried about would happen if we pursued certain lines of, of action. Like it's, it's pretty well crafted in that you've got multiple different ways you could go to accomplish it. And they all have their own potential drawbacks or consequences to them. Yeah. I moving into that story side of it a little bit. I really like the story concept of this. Um and again, I'm not getting into much of it. I'll give you like the the intro idea which is that um there's a long forgotten civilization of elf-like creatures who had a city devoted to knowledge and due to that in the words of Middle-earth these elves dove too greedily and too deep into their knowledge and it hurt their civilization in a big way. And that's why their library and the rest of their city is underground. Having said all that, I think that this story and the mystery of the players trying to figure out what is this ancient civilization? How did it get destroyed? What are these creatures and monsters that we're finding within the dungeon? What, where did they come from? The NPCs that they meet, how did they become manifest? I think all of those things are really cool. I do think that some of it is kind of corny. Um, I think that the name kind of tells you how corny it's going to be because it's the library of Biblius, right? And Biblius is the main guy in a library. He's like the king of the city. Uh, and I think the city's called Book. The city's yeah. called Book, right? And he and the king is called Biblius. And I was like, and it, it kind of meanders down that corny side. So maybe you guys will like that. I found it to be a little bit hokey, and so I just didn't dwell on that side of it. And I probably should have just. Re- I, I loved it. I thought it was great, but uh, I revel in bad puns and dad jokes. So yeah, maybe I'm yeah. not the best opinion to take away on that. Now um, I do I, have a question. Speaking of yeah. NPCs. Yeah. Because my character had a rather embarrassing run-in yes. with a particular book. And I just want to know if she was built in to the adventure, if that's something that you just kind of adapted as we were playing. Yep. So if you – this is the one area because I think it's cool enough. This is the one area we're going to get into spoilers is with NPCs, just who you might encounter. So skip ahead a few minutes if you are a player who doesn't want to get spoiled. But uh, here we go. There are two NPCs that I found to be awesome. This is by far the best part of this whole module are these two NPCs that are introduced. The first, the one that you mentioned, is an elf 
that has been merged with a book and now is book-sized and book and visual, except that it has the spine is shaped to look like that of an elf female. And you and the party saves her at one point or has the potential to save her. And she's grateful and she can kind of give the party some ideas about what happened, um, though she doesn't know everything. And yeah, so you ask, did I change a lot? Did I keep it how it was? I think I pretty much kept it as it was. I, I did try. I think that the adventure wants her to look a little bit more cartoony. She has like arms and legs and different things. And I just felt like that was a little bit wonky. And just how it was described, it felt very like a, a kid drawing sort of a, oh, draw me a book that's a person right okay so it's going to be a book and it has arms and legs and whatever and okay sure i thought well it's kind of more it makes more sense and you can kind of get more of the elf features if the elf is carved into the spine of this book uh, the cover and spine of this book and like her legs just kind of are part of the spine that bends out and her arms just kind of come out from the spine but if she's all tucked in tight it's just a book but she's a fun NPC and the party enjoyed that she was a very small female uh, and the person that found her in our party was a very large furbolg. My character was basically the dad for the group and I don't really do character stories here but part of our task was we it is kind of a mystery we're trying to find out information on everything that happened and we're finding a lot of very useful and interesting books. And when we came upon her, he didn't know how to handle that. And he didn't know if it would be considered rude or inappropriate to read her, considering she was also a creature. So he asked her what her thoughts were on it, and then the rest of the group just took it from there and made Ost a very embarrassed Florbolg who then wanted nothing to do with the situation. Yeah, and that that part of it obviously just came out through having a great group of players and you know that none of that was planned beforehand i just i got really lucky it was a, a fun moment and it was a maybe not how intended how that npc would uh then be interacted with but it, it, it was a great character to have in there and it was a, a fun moment in the game the other one that i would comment on the other npc and then we'll move on and we'll try to wrap this up before too long but um the other npc was a bookworm so it was a dragon uh, made of books and i think in the in the adventure it is actually a dragon with book spines for its scales and i thought that's dumb we it should be a construct made of books and so like you could actually pull a book out of its chest and read it hey like, matthew I, if you're listening to this sorry <laughs> Oh, hopefully no. I'm not uh, trashing on somebody's ideas or whatnot. Um, <laughs> I don't know what that's about. Uh, but I thought, you know what? This is a fun thing. He is seen as he's in his own little plane of existence, and he can trade party members for if they bring him books or other types of knowledge, he can give them cool items or new books or whatever and i think that he was fun and that he's a dragon that the players can interact with and also he can be fun in that he is found inside a book so in his his own personal plane is found by opening up a book so the party can take that book with them uh, along on the rest of their campaign or whatnot open it up and get to teleport to this other plane 
interact with this ancient being of knowledge. And I think that that can be a really fun, very powerful, but really fun NPC for the party to have on hand. Well, I don't think it's any more powerful than something like Rope Trick. In fact, I feel like it has a lot more drawbacks and that the book would be left behind. So if you try to use it as an easy get out of jail free card. Oh, yeah. That's uh, true. That that book can then get, be tampered with while you are gone. So I feel like it's kind of a cool little thing. There's definitely some good uses for it, but I don't think it's too terribly broken when you compare it to some of the similar magic spells at your disposal. I will say, though, in, in this adventure's defense, that it would have been seen as a way more powerful item to your group if you would have spent a little bit more time trading with it. Because it had a lot more sweet, sweet, mad loots to give yeah, I played someone maybe a little bit different than I usually do. He did not really care about items or loot or stuff. And that's a perfect segue into the last two things that I really wanted to talk about with this, and that's items and maps. And maps, I'll just briefly say, uh, I would have rather – all the maps, I think, are in full color, and they've got some detail in them. I would have rather had not – I would have rather had black and white maps that were a little bit more clear – and that the text was a little bit more clear as to where you could go, what you could do. There were several – I had to reread the map section several times as a DM before I f- truly understood how this section connected to this section. So I w- that's just my side note for the maps is I would re- – you're going to have to spend some time figuring those out probably if you're like me. So, But let's talk about items because you guys got a couple of fun items out of here and we won't get into those heavily but I think the party could walk out with like a dozen magic items if, I think if we you played this game. out like two or three. Well, remember the last room. Well, and some of them were books that were kind of consumable in yes. way, which we did use. So yeah. there, there was more than that, yeah. Oh yeah, but, that last room had like six in it on its own. Yeah. Exactly. And I cut out several and every single item that I found I ba- that was in the adventure, I basically had to cut down. And I will give you one example and I will avoid saying what it what it is. You'll know what it is, Micah, but the rest of them will have to figure it out if they play the adventure what it is. So there is an item. Now, it is labeled legendary, but I want to be clear that just in this little space that I'm looking at, there's like six legendary items that I'm looking at on this one page of magic items that they're giving you. This one, we'll call it a two-handed weapon, does on a hit 5d8 plus 8 radiant damage. No recharge, no anything. But that is the that is the standard like level of ridiculousness that I had to tone down. Okay, this is for level eight characters. There's no character that needs to have a two handed weapon dealing 5d8 plus eight radiant damage. It's let me be clear. This type of weapon would typically have like piercing, slashing, blunt, something like that. It's not any of those. It's radiant. So it's bypassing any sort of resistances that monsters are going to have. And it's dealing, I mean, on average, 48 points of damage per hit. Uh, That's not true. That's not true. 28 points of damage per hit uh, on average. So, uh, but still just an insane amount. And there is an item in here that is arguably more powerful. So I really liked some of these items. And I think the idea that this item doesn't deal slashing, piercing or blunt, but bludgeoning, but it does this radiant damage is a really cool feature. And I really liked this item. It just had to be 
toned down. Well, and the thing is, it would have been a strong item if it did the normal die for its weapon type and just changed it to Radiant. Just by changing the damage type from slashing, piercing, blunt, whatever, to Radiant would have been pretty strong on its own. And then if you give it one extra die or a few extra bonuses or something, would have been very reasonable. Well, and, you know, even if you said, I think there's a little bit of confusion that this person might have had with how magic items work. Because the idea that it does plus three to hit and then it does 5d8 plus eight radiant damage. Where did this plus eight come from? from you know, the god power in it right so uh, most of the weapons that i've seen within DD have a set dice amount and then you add your modifiers as the plus and and so i guess what i'm saying here and if it's a magic weapon let's say it's a plus three magic weapon then that's fine so it's a plus three to hit plus three extra damage that's still super powerful but let's say that it did that okay well then at most plus three so that's that's probably getting in too much to one specific item, but I just wanted you guys to have a taste of what do the not level is in that. Yeah. If you if you run this as intended for a group of eighth level characters, you, they are walking out of there basically having even if they walk out at level eight, they're basically like level ten characters at that point with the amount of damage that most of them can put out. Better than that, I would say. Like it, that's that's nuts. Twenty eight per attack. Yeah. I mean, on average, yeah. On a crit, I mean, it just gets insane. And that's yeah. just a regular old attack, not not using an ability. The, the one last thing I want to throw in there, because we're definitely getting long on time. But the one last thing I want to get into on this is it, because it's kind of an underground library, there's a lot of really cool ways that you can implement this into any campaign that you're running. I mean, it, the way it was added into ours felt very seamless with everything else. You could find it in a cave that you're going to. If you're in a city, an earthquake might crack open a segment and it leads you down into this long forgotten entrance. And maybe you're out in the world and a wizard built his tower on top of it and was plundering it for knowledge. Like there's so many very cool ways that you can easily introduce this anywhere in your world that it, it's a, a pretty slick fit and it, it's... Uh, not difficult to add in and have it do its own thing for for a session or two. Yeah, absolutely. I'd agree with that. And I do want to say thank you to Matthew Butler for writing this because I really enjoyed running it. Even if I did change stuff, uh, the core of it is awesome. It's a lot of fun. And I feel like the bulk, if not all of my players, had a good time. Even if the words, it. it was super dumb came yeah. out of our mouths <laughs> right. during this overall it was a it was a great adventure it was a ton of fun to run to play as a player for sure yeah if if this was something that i wrote we would just say it was super dumb and that would be the whole of the episode that'd be the episode so, so we are full of positivity towards towards this in general and we just have a few side criticisms so but yeah i think that's it for us if again <laughs> If you guys reach out to us, please let us know what you think of this, whether you want us to do any other reviews of fun modules and adventures and stuff we find. I know this is definitely a sidetrack from what we normally do, but you can reach out to us at a bite of D&D on Facebook or Twitter. Those are about the only things we use when we use them because I'm terrible about it, but hey. Uh, you can email me for sure. If you if you go onto our website, you can shoot me an email, and I get those right away. So, And if you search for us, you forget who we are, you don't remember what those handles are, you know what? If you search for a bite of D, D&D, we're like the first five million things that pop up now somehow, yeah. some way. So pretty easy to find. 
All right, guys, I think that's going to wrap it up for this episode. We're going to get back to regularly scheduled programming for next week, I think. I'm not sure what we're going to do, so uh, we'll have to figure that out. But we'll have something for you. Take care, guys. All right, later. Later.